So I guess you could say today is a, kind of the result of being out for about a month. I was, for those who don't know, I, every couple of years my family and I, we take a, a family trip, family vacation if you will. And uh, on this trip we ended up crossing the Atlantic and we ended up hitting what we, Spain, France, and we spent about a, a week in Italy. In Italy we went to Rome, uh, Florence, Venice, amazing, great trip, very long, very, very long. But it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip uh, because it was myself, uh, my mother, father, my sister, and her now fiancé, Gilbert. So they just actually, that was one of the things on the trip. He actually ended up proposing. And I was kind of upset because I was like, dang it, she's younger than me, and she beat me to it. Uh, but it's okay. And, uh, but so they end up getting engaged. So that was great. That was cool. We're going through a big change in our family. My sister, for those who don't know, you've seen her here a couple times. She just got into PA school. So she, now she's moving up to North Carolina, so it's been a, you know, emotional week. Like my little baby sister, is, she's engaged, she beat me to it, and she, now she's moving and going to PA school, right? And so I early, what was it, yesterday as I'm preparing the sermon, I end up going, she loves oat milk, and I end up opening up the fridge and see her little thing, her little carton of oat milk, and I just wept. So it's been, it was, I was kind of like, man, am I being a child? Am I being a baby? But it's hard, sorry. But so that's, so this, is, so this sermon is kind of the result of all that and my experience uh, through you know, being in the Word and also kind of the things that I saw in Italy, Spain, and Rome. One of the things that I loved on that trip was there are cathedrals and basilicas everywhere. I mean, you, you look at one, you're like, oh, that looks kind of run down. And then you walk inside, and it's just, oh, my gosh. It, it's, I mean, just every time you walk inside, it makes you want to cry because it's just so beautiful. I didn't cry, but those probably assumed that I did. I did not. Uh, and so, it's, I mean, just gorgeous. The paintings, the architecture, the... But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is every time we walked into a basilica, excuse me, or a cathedral, they were selling like rosaries or candles. You just pay like a couple euros and you buy them. And, but almost every time outside of every basilica, there was someone asking for money. Someone was homeless, asking for money every time. And I didn't, I didn't make, I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, man, I, got, I went to school. I got like spent $1,000 on this degree. How did I not recognize that? Because we're doing this, right? And people are buying things. And my dad said, you know, I feel kind of guilty buying something in there because I walk inside and then I walk outside and there's someone who has, doesn't even have shoes on, who's asking for money. And I feel guilty like buying something in there when I could just give the money to them. And I didn't even make that connection. I was like, well, I should notice that. I should know that. Uh, but it was, it was very convicting, right? I mean, this beautiful, gigantic building, beautiful paintings, right? You can buy a rosary for 5 to 10 euros, and then, but then as soon as you step outside, there's multiple people all over the place asking for money, clearly don't have a thing on them. I've actually, that's one of the things that I noticed, biggest things that I took away is I've never seen poverty as bad there. That's the worst, I, I mean, Compared to the, you know, what I've seen in the U.S., that was bad. I've never seen it that bad. It was a, but again, what's even more heartbreaking is it gets worse if you go to other countries, right? Italy's a little bit more developed than, than other places. And I'm going to speak more on that a little bit. But I just thought that was interesting. And I'm not, not getting at anything. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Catholicism or anything like that. But just, again, something food for thought. Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. As you saw in the Facebook post, Favoritism versus love. Favoritism versus love. So, as I said earlier, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. James chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 13. And I will give you a couple seconds to flip there. For those who are curious, I'm reading out of the ESV. Again, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So as, as you know, you always hear me say this all the time, we have three things we want to establish before every text. Context, context, context. And so James, the book of James is almost kind of like the book of Proverbs, right? If we read the book of Proverbs, you have all these wise kind of notes or saying dropped throughout the book, right? And the book of James is very similar. As we read this, you'll see there's just hints of wisdom dropped throughout the book. And so actually, the book of James is a very practical book. Right? And what we're going to be reading is actually very practical knowledge. It's not crazy, intellectual, theological information. It is something that should be carried out practically for godly behavior. And as we go through the passage today, you'll be reminded of two things. And it's the two commandments that Christ emphasized, love God and love neighbor. That's, again, like, that's like the overarching kind of theme throughout this book. And so you will see that kind of always peek its head as we're talking today. And so join me in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, and the word says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, I want to pause there. Sometimes there's always a, a roughing of feathers when you hear my brothers or something like that. A better word to use is brethren. And if you actually look at the Greek, when you, see, when you hear my brothers or my brethren, the Greek actually, what it really is saying, people born of the same parents. So it's, it's a very more, it's a family phrase, right? So if, if I had to put it in my own words, he's saying, hey, family, listen to this. So he's not simply just talking uh, gender specific, he's talking to everyone. So again, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So simply put, and this is the overarching theme of today, is that if you profess Jesus as Lord, you are not to play favorites. You are not to treat some people better than others. You are not to value some more than others. You're not to love others more than others. You are not to play favorites. I'm not to play favorites. There's no preferring more people than others. Right? That, that, that should not be a thing. You should not play favorites. What's interesting, though, is in this entire book, Jesus is referenced only two times. And this is the second and last time he is. And I think it's interesting, right before James goes into this discussion about playing favorites, he starts out with the last reference to Jesus in the entire book. So I think we should take note of that. But in the whole New Testament, partiality is referred to three other times in this than this. And every time it's referred to, it says how God is, is impartial. He is impartial when it comes to judgment and showing grace. The NASB, I think, says it well. Another translation, it says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. That's another way to phrase it, personal favoritism. Now, I know I'm using the word partiality a lot. What exactly does that mean? And it's this, is exalting someone strictly on a superficial, external basis, such as appearance, race, wealth, rank, or social status, 
Now, anytime we exalt someone, we are naturally diminishing somebody else, right? So, so and, and again, social status can include a whole bunch of different things. That can include, in today's language, it could be someone's sexual orientation, the way someone identifies, right? Those are social things that are kind of going on in today's culture. Those are things that, that's exactly what he's referring to. Someone's appearance, race, wealth, rank, or social status. Now, another interesting word for favoritism, really what it, what it really is, is discrimination. That's another word for favoritism or being partial or showing partiality to someone. It is a form of discrimination. And that is what James is getting at. So in today's terms, it would be, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't discriminate against anyone. Period. And he gives reasons why you shouldn't. So join me in verse 2. He gives an example of what this kind of look like, looks like. Verse 2, and the word says this. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made the distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So it's interesting that he uses this, this analogy, right? He uses a, a rich man, right? He uses someone who has the appearance of having a lot of money, right? They're being favored over the person who looks kind of poor, right? And so what he's really getting at is this, is that many of us are all guilty of loving those who benefit us, loving those who look like us, loving those who think like us. Simply put, we love those who are easy to love all the while neglecting those who require a little bit of work. And I, always, and I always make this argument that if love is easy, then I'd make the argument that you're not loving hard enough. Love is not easy. It requires work. And how, how, do, you, how do I come to that point? How do I make that argument? It is all we have to do is look to the cross. A lot of work went into that. And is that not the standard? The cross of Christ, is that not the standard of what we should, what should love look like? Love is not easy, it is hard. So the question I have to ask myself is, am I loving those who benefit me while neglecting those who require a little bit of work or who may look different or think different? Am I, am I playing favorites? Loving is not easy. Join me in Matthew chapter 5. And again, Jesus speaks to this topic in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5 is a passage we're all probably really familiar with. We're going to be in verses 43 through 48. Verses 43 through 48. And this is Jesus speaking, and the word says this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Right there, there's another example. God is impartial. Verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing 
what are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's actually a lot there. We see the impartiality of God. We see our call to love those who don't benefit us, to love all people. See that love is not easy. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. It requires work, right? And we see God's call for, for, for perfection, but yet I'm confident saying no one would admit that they are perfect. So what is Jesus getting at when he says that? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I'll come back to that a little bit later. Because that's, gonna, that's what's going to sum up today. So jump to me back to James chapter 2. We're going to read verse 5. James chapter 2 verse 5. And the word says this. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. So I want you, you don't have to flip to there. I'm going to read a passage to you in 1 Corinthians. It's going to help make sense of what we just read. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter, verses 26 through 31. And it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is, in the, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, nothing, to, to, bring, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As I was preparing this sermon, I started thinking about church history, and this is the church history, simply put. And an issue that I encounter a lot, uh, as I have discussions with people about the faith and whatnot, is that Christianity has been used to oppress a lot of people, right? That's just historical fact. Right? It, it's not a good thing. It's not a happy thing. That is just a fact. The church has been guilty of a lot of things like that and Christianity as a whole. But as I read this, I think to myself, I don't know how that could even be possible. I don't know how someone could take a passage like this, right? And God chooses the poor, right? He chooses those who are weak, those who don't have a lot of power and might, right? He he's desires those. He wants those. Even the passage in James, I was reading about playing favorites, Right? The Christian faith, the gospel, speaks to the, the oppressed and marginalized. The outcast, the unintelligent, the broken, and the weak have a place in God's kingdom. But again, not because of any good in them, but because of his goodness and his grace. And so, what James is saying, and how this all connects, is this. He's saying it is ironic to show favor to the people who are too prideful to submit to Christ. It is ironic to show favor toward someone who has power and wealth, which are two things God does not necessarily care for. He doesn't need any more power and wealth. I think he's good. He's got that. So what they're seeing here is that you're, you're playing favorites with, over people who have things that God doesn't care about. He doesn't care about 
your power, your wealth, your social status, your socioeconomic status, right? It, 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 he doesn't need those things. He doesn't care about those things, right? Now, I also don't want to say uh, the church is only made up of poor people, right? We know that not to be true. And actually, in James, right, the, in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, James is actually speaking to them, saying, hey, those who are, quote-unquote, poor, those who are, quote-unquote, rich, hey, be faithful with where you're at in life, right? In verses 9 through 10 in chapter 1. So the church is made up of both, both rich and poor, so that's, that's not what it's saying. It, it's, again, it's, as I always like to say, there is flat ground at the foot of the cross. And so join me. We're going to go back to James, chapter 2. We're going to be verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. And the word says this. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Verse 9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as, as transgressors. Simply put, partiality, favoritism, or discrimination opposes love. They cannot both coexist. Now, as we read this text, and there's something else that the text is communicating is this, and I'll be the first one to tell you, all of us are guilty of this. All, the, all of us, especially myself, are guilty of playing favorites, are preferring someone over another, right? We're all, we're all guilty of it to a certain extent, right? Now, I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43. Jesus ends the phrase with an interesting phrase, a phrase that's kind of, like I said, caused a lot of hiccup with some people is be perfect, perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, Jesus is God. He, gets, he knows things that we don't, right? You just, that's one of the nice things about being God, right? He knows what he's saying when he says that. He knows very well that you can't do that. You're not going to, you can't be perfect. You'll never achieve perfection. You won't, right? What Christ is saying when he says that is this, is that he's setting an unattainable standard. He is demonstrating, he's summing up the law as a whole. He is summing up, he's communicating that it is impossible for God to compromise his perfection. He who is perfect could not set an imperfect standard of righteousness. The marvelous truth of the gospel is Christ has met that standard on our behalf. And so this is what James is getting at in, verse, in the next couple verses. In verses 12 through 13, is just that. Is mercy is greater than judgment. Mercy triumphs judgment. Join me in verse 12. Actually, join me in verse 10, I'm sorry. And the word says this. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said... Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy 
to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so what James is getting at is this, is you have been shown mercy. You have been shown, you have not been shown judgment, but you've been shown grace, and you have been welcomed. So should we not all do the same? A person who shows no mercy and compassion for people demonstrates they have not responded to God's mercy or compassion. So again, I say, there is flat ground at the foot of the cross. The last passage that I'm going to read this morning, I'm going to read this and I'm going to end in prayer, because I really just, again, actually, this is one of the main things of the whole entire book of James. It drops wisdom things all throughout the book, and it's just to leave you there just to reflect on it, just to sit on it. That's one of the, one of the emphasis of James in this book. It's just to self-reflect. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read this and close out in prayer. And I just want to let you sit. Verse 9, and the word says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us, and sent his Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus.